Papua. the paradigm shift this is anking west papua this week uh for those unfamiliar with the situation in west papua which unfortunately seems to be much of australia and much of the world we'll start off by talking a bit about the history west papua was a, a dutch colony along with indonesia and in the 1960s as the dutch empire sort of faded and out uh, they made arrangements for West Papua to have its own flag. and But uh, Indonesia, keen to keep West Papua, the only country I've ever heard described as being cursed with natural resources. And the term you hear all the time for West Papua is that they are natural resources. And Indonesia stepped in with the assistance of the U.S. Kissinger, U.S. Secretary of State in the 1960s, arranged uh, the New York Agreement with 
Indonesia and the Netherlands and the US negotiating the future of West Papua. This is 1963. There were no West Papuans present and it was uh, takeover, would take care of West Papua and at some point there would be a referendum to future. The US, of course, had interests there. Their companies had their eyes on some of those resources, but also in the middle of the Cold War, uh, there was a bit of concern that Indonesia would align itself with the USSR, and so the USA was only too uh, keen to help out. So in 1969, the Act of Free Choice, as it was called, took place, which was a referendum in West Papua, except that only 1,000 West Papuan people, tribal limit, and those 1,000 people were then held at gun to vote for Indonesia. So not surprisingly, it came in with an overwhelming staying with Indonesia. The referendum has since come to be known as the Act of No Choice in West Papua. And from ever rule in West Papua with a, a iron fist, a military rule, and the most conservative estimates are that in the last 50 years there have been 100,000 Westman people killed by the Indonesian military, although people in West Papua number is more like 500,000. Pretty grim. <laughs> I have here with me Paul and Harvey, who were both to West Papua, which recently gained a lot of attention. Um, how much of you guys... You guys both come from a lot further away from West Park than we are in Australia. How much were you aware for uh, taking part in the flotilla of what the situation there was? Um, well, to be honest, like before I heard about flotilla, I, I absolutely knew like, very little to nothing of like uh, Indonesian involvement in uh, Indo- Indonesia's involvement in West Papua. As one of my motivating reasons to go on the go on the convoy in support of the learn more about it but obviously before I left I did some reading and some research and stuff you know that motivated me even even more so yeah same I, I didn't I didn't know much about it I saw this friend Sydney that were promoting the Freedom Flotilla and were playing some documentaries there wasn't there wasn't that much information because Indonesia took very good care of not letting uh, human rights associations and and this kind of uh, people to, to go in the country and see what was happening there so there's only a couple of documentaries that have done mm. undercover and and with that we saw a little bit of what was going in there and we got really motivated and jumping on the flotilla mm. that's right it's a key part of the uh indonesian rule in west papua is that it's closed off to visitors from the outside either human rights observers or journalists or even visitors you have to go to uh, Jakarta and ask for a special permit to West Papua which is mostly refused unless you happen to be somebody with interests in making money out of the resources and then giving that to Indonesia. That was that was one of the uh, driving forces of it was even West Papuans can't even enter their own land without going through a whole rigmarole of like administration even then they might not even be allowed onto their own land having left it initially. Yeah that's right the so the Freedom Flotilla, for those who haven't heard, was a boat. It carried sacred water um, from Lake Eyre and it was Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, the Arabana elder who has over the years done a lot of uh, in Aboriginal sovereignty activism and anti-nuclear activism. Uh, Kevin Buzzacott was the driving force behind it and he took sacred water from Lake Eyre and part of the idea was that they would do a ceremony with the indigenous people of West Papua to to rejoin the two 
uh, Melanesian countries that were once one country uh, many, many years ago. And so they applied for a permit, but naturally were turned down, but the, the flotilla went anyway. And we'll talk a bit more later about the Freedom Flotilla and as well as some of the things that happened since then. Uh, we might play another song now. This is by Arnold App. Uh, Arnold App is a favourite of mine. Have you heard of Arnold App? No. 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 Well, there you go. Everybody will be getting education here. Uh, Arnold App once and for all puts an end to the myth of uh, Western rock stars being somehow dangerous. Uh, Arnold was a he was a sociologist, like a, an anthropologist, and as well as a musician. And he would go around West Papua collecting songs, traditional songs, which were often in the traditional languages of West Papua, which, again, is another part of what's called slow genocide in West Papua, is that a lot of the traditional languages are dying out, and uh, it's Bahasa, only Bahasa, which is the Indonesian language, is allowed to be spoken, taught in schools and things like that. Um, but Arnold App would go around collecting traditional songs and dances and also uh, writing songs as well, freedom songs, and this is in the late 70s, early 80s. In 1983... Arnold App and Imofu, another person who played music with him, were arrested by the Indonesian military in 1984. They were shot in jail. Uh, the claim is that they were trying to escape, but it's roundly accepted that they were executed. And this is Arnold App with Sup Moia, which translates as Land of Our Ancestors. <laughs> Arnold App with uh, Supmoia. You are on Fortable Z on the Paradigm Shift with me, Andy Payne. I'm here also with Paul and Harvey, who are both part of the Freedom Flotilla to West Papua. And you guys started at Lake Air with the Flotilla. How was that? 
Well, we yeah, we started from Sydney recruiting uh, friends that wanted to join and and join to Lake Eyre and and the reason why I started in Lake Eyre was because it was organized by Uncle Kevin and and some other elders from West Papua and the idea was to um, organize both uh, traditional people because uh, in some sense the the struggle of West Papua struggle of Aboriginal people here in Australia has a lot of similarities and, and therefore the struggle and the culture should, should be reunited and yeah I guess leading on from that it was like a um, it was part of a uh, wider attempt, I suppose, to link all Indigenous struggles, and that's what one of the main key org- that's one of the key organisers of the Freedom Fatilla said to me was like that um, uniting all these Indigenous struggles under uh, colonial power is really, really important. This is just a very small step in um, a much wider picture of uh, Indigenous struggles. Yeah, a very significant um, attempt as well, a, a link that's not often drawn, I guess. Yeah, um, sure. And a, a good way of, as well of pointing out that a lot of these kind of national boundaries that we have are purely colonial impositions. Mm. I mean, West yeah. Papua and Papua New Guinea is a great example, a line straight down the middle that has sort of mm. arbitrarily divided these two um, nations, yeah. which are just one. These borders aren't natural. It's really important to remember, like, never natural things. That's right. And so the Freedom Flotilla or the convoy made its way from Lake Eyre through there was an event at Nimbin I think and a couple of events at Brisbane linked with the Brisbane Aboriginal Sovereign Embassy Mm -hmm. and we subsequently went up to Cairns Um, I also joined the flotilla up in Cairns where there was some uh, some planning for the voyage and then we we went on our way um, which, <laughs> sorry, I was a bit distracted then. Um, so in Cairns then, there was uh, a couple of weeks to prepare. Uh, what did you guys get up to up in Cairns? Um, yeah, just, just providing, just providing general support. There was a lot of banners to be painted, like those, uh, the boats needed working on as well. Uh, I personally wasn't involved in, um, working on the boats uh, ever so much. I personally wasn't involved in working on the boats ever so much, but I was a big crew down by the um, the harbour. Was not the harbour, is it the docks? No, the docks and cans. Like just working like hours and hours every day, just like getting the boat, trying to get the boats in like tip-top shape to like sail across the Torres Strait. You know, um, so that was that was the mo- I think it's one of the main projects. But aside from that, there was banners to be painted, flags to be stitched. Um, you know, loads of background stuff that we did in a. Uh, in the community place called Digger Street in Cairns, where they let us stay. Yeah, and also I guess uh, uh, another job that was very important that we did was in in every place we stopped, we tried to put a little stall with a table mm. and just hand out some information about West Papua, just sit down in the street, you know, and and talk to people, you know, just the people passing in the street, tell them what's going on in West Papua. And and that was very good because of course a, li- a lot of people even even in Cairns that's so close to West Papua they didn't know anything about it and it was really good to share these experiences mm-hmm. and then in Cairns it was really really interesting how we we ran into some West Papuans that had come uh, to Australia seeking asylum and they were living there and so we shared some stories with them that was mm-hmm. that was really beautiful 
yeah, it was really powerful speaking to those guys, eh? Right. Yeah, and even the the West Papans who were involved on the trip, mm. and there were a number of them. Uh, the it was amazing hearing their stories, but also uh, talking to them and, and their encouragement that they got from other people's interest as well. And uh, I hear from a very good source that in West Papua there was a lot of excitement about the fact that uh, people from the outside cared about the struggle and. Well, that was, that was a really good um, motivating factor as well, was that you had the constant presence of West Papuan people there who are in touch with West Papua, even in the midst of kind of all the organisational madness and the stress, it's very easy to kind of become completely enveloped in it. But having these sort of touchstones of like West Papuan people and Aboriginal elders there, uh, just a constant reminder that there is some, this is genuinely important stuff we're doing. This is really um, good stuff we're doing. And the fact that people were... Uh, boosted by and heartened by Ims Papua was a consistent kind of um, energy boost to the whole thing, I think. And it was really amazing how much energy they had, you know, they were organizing, because yeah. they were not organizing this flotilla, but they were also like doing heaps more things, a conference in Papua New Guinea and in touch with, mm. with West Papua and, and the, the demonstrations that were happening there. And they still had so much energy, you know, from the earliest hour in the morning to the latest at night. And, and you would talk to them and they would say, well... We're so lucky here, you know, our, our people in West Papua are struggling so much, the least we can do is this, you know, so mm. they, they're working so hard all day just for this for this cause, and they still feel like that's the least that they can do, you know. Mm. It's really powerful. Um, it's a lifelong struggle, isn't it, for, for those yeah, people, for sure. you know, you, you don't uh, choose to become an activist there or, mm. or choose to be politicized, that people are born into it. But uh, not all Australians were as, as supportive of the Freedom Flotilla. Uh, as the flotilla gained more media attention, we had some, uh, some politicians speak out, and most memorably, Bob Carr. And I have the quote here. Bob Carr at the time was Foreign Affairs Minister. And uh, in a good turn of fate for the flotilla, he was actually in Indonesia at the time uh, trying to talk Indonesia into protecting Australia from boat people but uh, he had to do a little bit of backpedalling for for his government's sake For and he accused the Freedom Flotilla of perpetuating a cruel hoax on the people of the Papuan provinces by suggesting that Papuan independence was on the international agenda mm. <laughs> yeah that was uh, yeah, I've, I've read that in a few places and it never ceases to make me incredibly angry uh, whenever, whenever I hear that particular quote from Bob Carr, yeah. It's completely like perpetuating this myth that, like, uh, the indigenous peoples of West Papua are like this sort of um, naive, innocent, inactive, passive group of people just waiting for white people to do something of that idea when they're essentially their lives out there. These people aren't idiots. Like, they know uh, the West Papuans aren't idiots. They're not passive. They're actively standing up against their oppression. Yeah, that's right. And, um... Yeah, how cruel of these activists! To yeah, try well, to I, f- I feel I feel partic- I feel particularly harsh actually in uh, in doing all this. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Uh, Julie Bishop, who was at the time shadow foreign affairs minister, also said that if if the flotilla is found to be breaking international law, then Indonesia should have no hesitation in arresting them. Yeah, which is the kind of support you look for. Yeah, for politicians. Of- yeah, I read at some point some someone from Australia saying like Indonesia should do 
whatever they want and whatever they feel is necessary to stop the flotilla from arriving, you know? So that was that was sort of their fe- first uh, attempt, their first... Mm. Were there stories of them setting up, like, sort of fighter planes to go go meet the flotilla and stuff like that? Like, them getting soldiers on? None uh, of it ever came to fruition, I don't think. But Well, in Indonesia, there certainly were reports of Indonesia mobilising mm. uh, huge amounts of troops in yeah. at the southern parts of West Papua to meet yeah. the flotilla. Um, I heard about, like, 2,500 militaries. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And how many I think people were on the boats? Of, I think there's right. a lot of military or, all the time in West Papua. Yeah. Mm. They, the private security for the world's biggest gold mine there is done by the done by the military and, and things mm. like that. Um, but it's worth talking about Australia's uh, relationship with West Papua. It is our closest neighbour, 200 kilometres <laughs> from the top of Cape York. Um, barely a stone's throw but uh, Australia's relationship has been very uh, complicated with West Papua especially by our diplomatic ties with Indonesia and with the US and we can see in some of the in the politicians uh, being unwilling to to speak out against it and also Tony Abbott has come out in the last few weeks when we'll talk a bit later about uh, the Papuans occupying the Australian consulate and Tony Abbott's response was to say that people seeking to grandstand against Indonesia, please don't look to do it in Australia. You are not welcome. Mm, grandstanding, yeah. Which, um, and I guess Australia's history, that it's very well documented, Australia's history with East Timor, which was another Indiv- Indonesian uh, occupation that by the military that was done quite brutally and in the end a lot of international attention uh, brought Australia actually to intervene as well as the UN send the military in and and intervene in East Timor but for a long time Australia had actually trained Indonesian troops to go in there and and to to the best of their ability suppress East Timorese resistance and the it's the same Indonesian troops in West Papua it's very true um even in the the last few weeks, there have been if on the West Papua media alert. It talks about Australian trained officers doing some of these things, and uh, part of Australia's unwillingness to speak out. I suppose you could put to our diplomatic ties with Indonesia and our <coughs> our fear of of uh, speaking out against them and any the consequences that could come from that. But also, there's a lot of Australian interests. I think business interests in West Papua. Mm. Um, I will read here. So, in 2006, there were 40, 43 West Papuan asylum seekers came uh, in a dugout canoe made out of a tree. They had an outboard motor, but it stopped working, and they, they drifted the rest of the way to uh, Mapoon up on the uh, western side of Cape York. And they sought asylum, and it was quite a diplomatic event at the time for Australia and Indonesia. Uh, because Indonesia doesn't like to <laughs> admit that uh, some of the atrocities are going on there. And so when Australia did as- accept these 43 asylum seekers, uh, it became a-, a diplomatic event. One of the asylum seekers, actually Amos, one guy, was mm. part of the yep. flotilla. But um, in response to this, in 2007, Australia signed the Lombok Treaty with... Indonesia, which was a, 
it has a number of of articles in it and it talks about uh, reaffirming trade relations and, and all kinds of things. But at the very top, the second paragraph of the Lombok Treaty, it says that the, the purpose of the treaty is reaffirming the commitment to the sovereignty, unity, independence and territorial integrity of both parties and the importance of the principles of good neighbourliness and non-interference in the internal affairs of one another consistent with the Charter of the United Nations. Well, there you go. I suppose it depends on what your definition of a good neighbour is. Mm. But um, the there's also, in the last couple of days, been a report in The Guardian, on The Guardian website, that uh, and a human rights study on West Papua has come up with uh, a reports of an atrocity or a number of atrocities that happened in the 1970s and that apparently they were done with Australian military helicopters. So there's a, a long and, and complex history there of Australia's involvement, which uh, hopefully the, the Freedom Flotilla can be the beginnings of a bit of a rewriting of that. There's been, I mean, for a long time, there's been Australian support for West Papuan independence as well. Yeah, I guess I guess that's where it's important to note is that the Freedom Flotilla it's a bit of a an start, you know. This uh, Uncle Kev and Uncle uh, Jacob Rumbiak started talking about this already ten years ago, and and it's important to notice that the Freedom Flotilla is a bit of a beginning, you know, and that's what they're talking about. And after the Flotilla, it's 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 over the Flotilla, but it's not over the struggle for in the independence of West Papua. So it's it's necessary to keep this going and keep the the debate about the situation it was Papua and and keep the international uh, community to look there and and realize what's happening you know and all the atrocities that are that are going on there yeah we might go to another song uh, this is uh, some more music from West Papua from the Wantok label which releases Melanesian music uh, this is Black Paradise singing Aye Nanawe.
Welcome back to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. This is Andy, and I'm here with Paul and Harvey from the Freedom Flotilla to West Papua. And we left off at Cairns where the boats were launching after a bit of um, hard work done on the boats and done promoting the events. The boats launched from Cairns, uh, ran into a little bit of mechanical trouble on, out on the high seas, uh, docked at Thursday Island for a bit. And then this is where the story gets really interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, so once they arrived at Thursday Island, uh, well, one of the boats uh, had to be towed there to Thursday Island because it it had some problems, so only one of the boats uh, was able to leave at the end. Oh, just when we were preparing the boats before leaving, the owner of that boat, Trudy, uh, memorably said when we were talking about some of the work that needed doing, he said, it's not the most reliable boat or the safest, but it's the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to have priorities, isn't it, in these situations, you know? Uh. I remember it had some milk crates in the back to, to hold something together. Yeah. <laughs> that was the level of... <laughs> Engineering yeah. expertise on Yeah, way. exactly. Yeah, I heard it was like, it's one of the one of the cheapest floti- flotillas that has ever happened. Like, if you, mm. if you look to history, to convoys that have done similar things, they've had budget of maybe 500,000 bucks and things like this and the flotilla the whole thing ran with i i think something like 25,000 bucks that they were able to 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 mm. fundraise so it's it's really really amazing how much they did with so little you know mm. but it was with with everyone's help and solidarity that and it came together a lot of prayers all yeah. those west Parkers. <laughs> mm. Um, so the boats then, they left Thursday Island and there was a lot of, I guess it had been a big media event and there was a lot of talk about a military, uh, the military confronting them on the way to Papua and I guess uh, a lot of, I guess, fear and a lot of nerves about what could happen there. There's a, a, a lot of uh, West Papuan political prisoners in jail and there's a lot of West Papuan political prisoners who go to jail and never come back out. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the supports that happens in West Papua is that people feed West Papua when people go and make food and take it into the prisons because there's a, a history of people mis- dying of mysterious causes in Indonesian mm. jails in West Papua mm-hmm. but uh, there was a lot of talk of this but in the end there was a, there was a little bit of subterfuge from the, the Freedom Flotilla that enabled them to to do the ceremony in the end um, do you guys want to tell us a bit more about that? Um, uh, my my information's a little bit uh, scatty, I think. But as far no, I think you because you know, we talked about this the other day, didn't we, Harvey? And I think yeah. you corrected me on something, so I think you should probably. Yeah. So I think I think basically what they did is uh, the, the 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 boat that that set off uh, called the Pog was monitored so that everyone could follow uh, what the route was, including the Indonesian military, of course. Uh, but what they did. Uh, was uh, to just uh, stop at some point and send a little tinny with with um, Uncle Kev and, and Amos and a few more people. And and they set off into Indonesian waters and met another tinny that was coming from West Papua. And just in the water they made this, uh, this ceremony <coughs> and gave the sacred water and the ashes to West Papua, to the West Papuans to take back home. 
and and that way they were not bothered by by Indonesian military because mm. basically what what they were what they were interested in was uh, the cultural and ceremonial uh, share and not so much a confrontation which sometimes happens in this in this kind of political action so they were very interested in actually uh, meeting the West Papuans and giving them the sacred water and ashes and they did accomplish that and they returned back with with no farther events so that that was that was very good to accomplish that mission yeah, it was an impressively clever trick I thought like because obviously due to its nature like only a kind of small crew uh, of organizers could really know about it because obviously if it got out then obviously this the surprise is blown then there's no point to it you know so it was really it was really impressively done I thought uh, you can watch the the footage of the ceremony with the the Papuan faces blanked out <laughs> although subsequent events mean that mm. they, they've all left the country anyway but We'll talk a bit more about that later. But you can watch the footage on the Freedom Flotilla website, which is freedomflotillawestpapua.org, which also is a good source of information on the ongoing events in West Papua. But uh, it's quite moving, the ceremony, even though the, it's done in a couple of little tinnies and there's not a lot you can see, but the exchange, it, mm. yeah, um, is amazing to as improbable as it was and this dream that as you say was 10 years in the making between Jacob Rumbiak and um, Kevin Bothercott that to see it come to fruition and and I guess what it what it means to the West Papuan people is a, mm-hmm. a great piece of footage mm. I think it sets a really a really good first step to keep on going in this uh, uniting both cultures and both struggles and and trying to trying to accomplish West Papuan independence uh, that way, you know. Yeah. Um, but the... I mentioned a bit just before that the fallout from the flotilla has been significant and this is where I guess there was a lot of... It stirred up a lot of media interest the flotilla and partly because of that we've heard a lot about things we wouldn't necessarily hear about but also just the the kind of, I guess, catching a bit of the momentum of this movement that there have been, subsequently been a number of significant events and it actually began before the flotilla ever got to West Papua. There were four arrests in in Marauke, which is on the southern coast of West Papua, at a prayer meeting. Um, a lot of West Papuans are very Christian and they have a lot of prayer meetings. But uh, a prayer meeting for the flotilla was interrupted by the Indonesian military and there were four people arrested charge is treason which is a very loosely uh, thrown out charge in Indonesia and uh, raising the West Papuan flag can be you can be charged with treason and are and it faces a maximum I think 15 years in prison and there's a number of people in prison for that crime or also any talk about uh, Papuan independence is also can be charged with treason and so before the flotilla ever got there there were four arrests to do with the flotilla subsequently uh, the people that were involved in the in the ceremony were forced to flee West Papua and uh, a week later I think uh, I've got the date here it was the 24th of September seven asylum seekers arrived uh, on one of the Torres Strait Islands from West Papua uh, because of the persecution they were facing following the the ceremony and Australia 
they were, they were put on a plane and I believe they were told that they were going to be flown to Australia but in reality they were flown back to Port Moresby where mm. of course as part of Kevin Rudd's uh, PNG solution all Australian all asylum seekers to Australia are uh, processed and settled in Papua New Guinea for now and so they were taken back there where there are already tens of thousands of West Papuan refugees living there uh, and there was very little sympathy, I think, from from the Australian government, which doesn't have much sympathy for many asylum seekers, but even less in this case. And meanwhile, one of the people who didn't come to Australia to seek asylum was Franz Kapisar, who was actually given the honour and duty of carrying the sacred ashes and water that had come from Lake Eyre and come from the Aboriginal embassy and he was going to carry them back into West Papua and take them uh, which is a dangerous, dangerous task and uh, Franz Kapisar went on the run uh, fearing for his life and we have an interview here with a couple of his daughters his daughters are Melania and Hollandia Kapisar and we have here hearing from them about what their thoughts are on their father being on the run. Um, they have been killing, torture, uh, slow genocide happening right now in West Papua. And Australia and West Papua about 200 kilometers away. But I don't know why the Australian government um, trained the special Indonesian Special Forces, Densus 88, to kill our West Papuan people. Thousands of people died already, not just one, thousands of thousands of people died already in West Papua right now. And the example is now my dad's on the run, I don't know when he'll be died. I just, I, I just wait for the news, really. When we talk about the about my father's involvement with flotilla and the fact that he's carrying the water and ashes um, around West Papua um, is nerve-wracking because we know that he's not safe. And also um, recently when I heard that He's in hiding on the 26th, 6th, since the 26th of September. Um, it's not a new thing for me, but at the same time, I was just praying. I'm just praying that he'll, he'll be fine. But um, I'm, I'm, of course, devastated and worried. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that whereas indigenous of West Papua. We have a great, a big connection with our land and also the people. Um, we see the West Papuans as, as family and to know that my dad bringing this water and ashes to West Papua, it's sort of like we are connected back again to our lost family in Australia, the Aboriginals. So it's just a great feeling. I'm just so proud of him, but yeah, scared for his life too. Because, because of France bring these ashes and the water from 
um, the border freedom uh, with freedom flotilla. France went back to West Papua, but six people flee flee to Australia and to seek asylum. Asylum, yeah. yeah, and and they had been sent to secretly by the immigration sent them to uh, Port Moresby. We are really we're really scared because if he's in PNG, we know that he'll be dead. It's really dangerous in PNG for us too, because the Indonesian have big a big presence in Papua New Guinea. So it's a big it's a big thing when they send them back to Papua New Guinea because I know we know that they'll be dead. We're really scared. Of course, I'm worried about their life as well in Papua New Guinea. I'm hoping that um, as a neighbor of West Papua, as a strong nation, I'm hoping that Australian government could open their eyes or maybe they've, they've known but they just ignored what's going on in West Papua. I'm hoping that they could take a big step um, in regards of our problem. Yeah. Because they've been ignoring our problem for such a long time. That was Hollandia and Melania Kapisar speaking about their father being uh, on the run, hiding out from Indonesian military. Uh, one of the interesting things there was that they said that Papua New Guinea is not safe because there's Indonesian military everywhere. everywhere and this is Australia. Australia has just sent uh, seven asylum seekers back to Papua New Guinea from West Papua. Uh, the drama didn't stop there. After the Fotilla, a couple of weeks later, at the Australian consulate in Bali, uh, there was one night three West Papuan men uh, climbed over the fence of the Australian consulate and they arrived in uh, in the consulate to, number one, to seek asylum, but also presenting an open letter that they asked to be uh, read to the Australian people. Fortunately, the Guardian subsequently, the Guardian who have been excellent in their coverage of West Papua recently, and they are they are really, really um, in a place where no foreign media is allowed to go. They're putting a lot of effort into reporting stuff there. But uh, their open letter was subsequently published, but Australia, the Australian consulate responded by telling the men to go and saying they were going to call Indonesian police uh, which would not have ended well for those three Papuan men. And so, in the end, they bailed from there. Uh, and Tony Abbott subsequently made the quote that I read earlier about people not being welcome to grandstand against Indonesia using Australia. But uh, Paul here has the open letter, and so we're doing our small bit here of helping it be read this uh, document that they hope would be read, heard by all Australians. So... Uh, would you like to read it, Paul? Yeah, sure. Um, Dear brothers and sisters, we're writing to inform you that we have entered the Australian consulate in Bali to seek refuge and to deliver our message to the APEC leaders in Bali, including US State Secretary John Kerry and Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott. We want these leaders to persuade the Indonesian government to treat, to treat Papuan people better. Human rights abuses are routine. 
Many of our colleagues protested and sought their political aspiration heard, but they ended up in prison. These political prisoners committed no crime. They are explicitly committed to non-violence. The Indonesian government arrested and jailed them for discussing their political human rights and beliefs. We want the Indonesian government to lift the 50-year restriction it has imposed on West Papua. We want foreigners, including journalists, diplomats, observers and tourists, to be able to visit West Papua freely without asking for special permits. We need your help. We seek refuge and plead for our safety. That is the open letter from three Papuan men who climbed the fence of the Australian consulate in Bali. You are on 4ZZZ on the paradigm shift. It's 10 to 1, and we've been talking about West Papua and the Freedom Flotilla. Um, there's been a, a lot of drama since then, and uh, another great moment that came was when the president of Vanuatu, whose name is Kakasus Kulasil, I hope that I didn't just make a meal of that pronunciation, um, but who has been an outspoken uh, proponent of Papuan independence, he addressed the United Nations with a speech about West Papua and about the abuses of human rights there. There's a little bit of context here, which uh, Vanuatu is one of the member nations of a group called the Melanesian Spearhead Group, the MSG, which is a, a group of nations of Melanesian people. Uh, I think it includes Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, Fiji, West Papua and Kanaki, which is, of course, Indonesian people of the French colonial outpost of New Caledonia. And now, uh, Kanaki is not in itself an independent country, but they were, in the mid-2000s, they were allowed to join the Melanesian Spearhead Group, which was uh, a step along the way, I guess, of recognising their national sovereignty, I guess, similar to the United Nations with Palestine, recognising them as a member state. And... West Papua has since asked also to be recognised and by the MSG and considered. And while the flotilla was going on, there was a meeting of the Melanesian Spearhead Group where West Papuan people went and spoke. Unfortunately, there were also uh, counter-representatives from Indonesia who convinced the MSG that there were no human rights abuses going on in West Papua and they said that no decision should be made until the leaders of the MSG had made uh, an official visit to West Papua chauffeured by the Indonesian government, which I would say maybe doesn't look good for for West Papua's member status in the Melanesian Spearhead Group. But the Prime Minister of Vanuatu, Karkasas Kulosil, uh, still speaks out for him and he gave a, a wonderful address to the United Nations about... West Papuan uh, human rights abuses and I'll quote one paragraph from it here where he says it is clear from many historical records that the Melanesian people of West Papua were the scapegoat of Cold War politics and were sacrificed to gratify the appetite for the natural resources which the country possess today they are still the victims of ignorance of the United Nations Mm. and the I guess on the on the heels of the Freedom Flotilla and other things that have been in the news, the uh, address is very significant because the United Nations has always stayed silent about West Papua. Uh, it's unclear why, but 
partly maybe shame at them ratifying the 1969 Act of No Choice, which was ratified by the United Nations. But this is maybe the first step along the way of of a United Nations investigation into human rights abuses in West Papua and possibly the United Nations supporting moves for Papuan independence. Um, And the most recent news from West Papua is in the last week, it was the second anniversary of the third Papuan Congress, which was in 2011. You can watch a horrifying video of this on the internet if you search for the third Papuan Congress. And it was a, a meeting of uh, leaders of the Papuan independence movement from all over West Papua that came together to to vote about what the future of West Papua should be decided by Papuan people. And the Congress itself in October 2011 was then shut down by uh, Indonesian military who came in shooting at people, arresting people. Uh, there were people that died. There were... There's horrifying footage of people being held and kicked by Indonesian military. And this is a completely non-violent uh, movement towards Papuan independence, or Merdeka, which is the Bahasa uh, word for, for freedom. And so in the last week, it was the second anniversary, and there were reports from around West Papua that police opened fire, opened fire in various places, and that there were over 60 arrests in around West Papua in events that um, to mark the second anniversary and the West Papua Media Alert website, uh, which is a kind of a West Papua indie media, which is an excellent resource for finding out what's happening in there. And the way that West Papua people have been use, able to use the internet has been very significant um, in a, able to getting their voice heard. But the, So that's westpapuamedia.info if you're interested in looking it up. But in the report of that, it's suggested that the events that they were planned were prayer services and public speeches, that these is the the illegal events that have been shut down over the last week by, um, by the Indonesian military. And that about brings up to speed in what's been happening in West Papua News in the last month. Um... Tomorrow in Brisbane at Black Star Coffee, which is 44 Thomas Street in West End. All you hipsters out there know where it is. I've seen you there. <laughs> they um, There'll be an event there which is called Peddling for Papua, and it's a guy from Canada named Jeremy Borley. I was hoping to have him on the show today, actually, but um, he is doing an event at 1 o'clock in Indrapilly at Lush Cosmetics talking about West Papua. So if you're in Indrapilly, you'll have time just after the end of the show to get down to Lush Cosmetics and catch that. But if you can't, at Black Star Coffee tomorrow at 7 p.m., uh, Jeremy, he has been pedaling on his bike around the world. He did North America and now he's done New Zealand and he's come to Australia now telling people about West Papua and he has a, a presentation that he does. He plays songs and uh, there's interviews and audiovisual footage and that should be uh, a great night. Um, come along to that, chuck in some money for a donation that will go to the support of West Papua and political prisoners. Uh, so that's on... There's. If you're interested in joining the West Pop, Brisbane West Papua Solidarity Group, you could come to that event and speak to some of us, or there's a Facebook group that you could join. 
and there's certainly uh, a lot of ways that you can get involved in there's a lot to do in the struggle and so a lot of educating do as well so if you are if you've heard this and you're keen to get involved in the West Papuan Merdeka movement then by all means come along and uh, do everything you can I think there's a couple of other events coming up that Ian is going to plug uh, hello everyone uh, yes um Recently in the Brisbane Labor History Journal, there was uh, an article that's going to be published. You'll see it in this November's edition. It's about a FOCO club that was held here in Brisbane. Um, It was eventually banned by the government and raided by police and most of the people involved in that enterprise were were kicked out. But um, there's a new incarnation of that here in Brisbane now called FOCO Nuevo. And a lot of people who hear the word FOCO, they think it relates to folk music. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Foco relates to um, Che Guevara and it is a uh, it's basically, a Foco is a local camp where the revolution is generated and I'm hoping that um, our brothers up there in the One People's Army, I hear the message here that Andy and, and Paul and Harvey have put out here today it's really great. Um, anyway uh, next Friday night Foco Nuevo has um, a really good lineup of political bands. Um, one is called Little Secrets, which has recently been renamed as bands do into Three Miles from Texas. Um, the uh, host band is Jumping Fences, that sings a lot of uh, music from Latin America. It's Nueva Canción, uh, which is the new song movement, which was a way of educating people about an alternative to the capitalist structure. Um, now, that put that in your diaries. That's not this Friday, not tonight, but next Friday, um, Foco Nuevo, and it's at the Carilpa Hall, which is in Boundary Street West End, just next to the West End Library. All are welcome. There's food and drinks that are provided, and it's a great night for people to come. It's only $12 or $10 for unwaged people. Now, I, I understand we've got another person in the studio, Natalie. I think that she wanted a song played. Um, was it from the Blue King Brown? And during the show, I've actually been doing a bit of a research. I don't know whether I'm right here, but it's a, re- a song that has really caught my eye. <laughs> it's called Rise Up. Do you know that song? Uh, Let's play. Um, Blue, you, you explain. <laughs> Blue, Blue King Brown have been outspoken advocates of of West Papuan uh, Merdeka over the years, and Natalie, I can't pronounce her last name from the band, um, who is a a very um, well spoken uh, social justice advocate, uh, was actually part of the Freedom Flotilla. F- got back from a European tour and then a day later flew up to Cairns to perform at the Farewell concert and everywhere they go Blue King Brown talk about West Papua the, the role that they um, that they play is very significant in, in sharing information so very grateful for what they do and yeah let's have a song Rise Up by them thanks very much to Paul and Harvey Good for cheers. coming in thank you it's been great, it's great. You have been on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. Uh, the show is available on 4ZZZ on demand if you want to play it again for your friends. And join us again next week. This is Blue King Brown with Rise Up.